0: So Romans 13, I want to start with a question this morning. Questions are good. I hope you guys ask a lot of questions when you study the word of God. But our question today is what should we as Christians, being born-again believers in Jesus Christ, that he is our Lord, our King, okay? How ought we live in this life as believers with our responsibilities as God's kids, How should we, guys, live life in light of our society, towards society? I'm very glad you guys asked that question this morning, so I'm going to talk to it for a moment, and let's talk politics for a minute. If you haven't noticed, guys, we're not under a Christian government, okay? We're not. But God makes it very clear, guys, that we are not to take an anti-government mentality. That is where Romans 13 is going to take us this morning. Nor should we organize, say, a freedom fighter fellowship. That's not the call of God upon his church. And we're not to see the government as our enemy or as a tool of Satan. We guys often have to walk this tightrope, tightrope Between church and state. He also doesn't want us to have an uninvolved indifference, okay? We're not of this world, correct? Correct. But we're here for a purpose, correct? Correct. So, some of us have determined not to worry at all. Hey, I'm not gonna vote. I'm not gonna pray. You know, hey, it's God's deal. He's gonna do whatever he wants, okay? And it's all going to work out in the end. A lot of people fall into that mentality. So how do we figure this all out? How do we develop a godly perspective? How do we interact with society that clashes with God and his standards? I'm glad you guys asked. Let's dive into that. This morning I've entitled the message Christian Citizenship, in a secular society. And I love Romans 13. I wish we would have heard a lot more of Romans 13 being taught from the pulpits the last two years. You see, guys, if we look at this, there's a simple outline. It really goes into us as being good citizens, okay? It's for God's sake. And don't we want to honor him? Don't we want to rightly represent him? don't we want to glorify him yeah. do you think we should do it his way absolutely so we do it for god's sake we're good citizens for your sakes and then we see we are good citizens for conscience sake daniel lepster said this and i love it whatever makes men good christians makes them good citizens we should be good citizens as believers in christ jesus Christians have the responsibility to make their country and wherever they may live better. Guys, we're salt. We're light. We're called to go and love our neighbors. We should be the best citizens that there are. And we do this, guys, by electing, you know, Christians or other high-principled leaders. We can do that by checking into what God says is right. And we can do this morally by serving as an influence in our society is good. We are the light of the world, correct? People should be seeing that. So let's jump into Romans 13. Good citizens, guys, for God's sake. okay. And it is all about him. And this is where we get it backwards. And this is where we become bad citizens when we make it about us. But if we keep the main thing the main thing, (laughs) which as believers, is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ okay it's going to be for his sake and we're going to read Romans 13 1 and 2 and we're going to take it to heart and we'll want to be doing it not just hearing it let's read let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Warren Wiersbe cool. says this. He says, yes, believers are citizens in heaven, but we must not minimize our responsibilities on earth. We're here for a purpose, guys. Allegiance to God does not take away our responsibility to secular authority. We must be exemplary, citizens, so that the Lord Jesus is glorified. Did you guys catch in verse 1, it says to be subject? So the predominant thought is not obedience, but the conduct that flows naturally from the recogni- recognition that the other person as Christ's representative has an infinitely greater claim on one than one has on himself. So just like church leaders, okay, we obey those who Rule over us to be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy, not with grief, for it would be unprofitable to you. That's from Hebrews 13, verse 17. So, to governing authorities, note what he doesn't say. Okay? Paul doesn't say the type of government to submit to. Did he say that? No. He doesn't specify. Democracy, socialist, totalitarian um, governments. And guys, democracy is not the best government. Theocracy is. Would you guys agree? I would love if God was calling the shots. You guys can jot down 1 Samuel 8, 5, chapter 8, verse 5. This is Israel to Samuel. He says, Look, you are old. And your sons, they don't walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us, just like all nations. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to do, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So God was talking about a theocracy there. The people want a man someone else, a mere human being, to rule over them. That's what my people want. But we, as the people of God, should say, well, ultimately we want God. I don't know about you guys, but in this Christmas season, we often refer back to Isaiah 9, 6. and the last part of that prophecy given, hey, unto us, us a son is given. Jesus is Coming. You know, he is mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. But we're told there at the end of the prophecy, the government shall be upon his shoulders. It's so cool. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but he's coming back and he is going to rule and reign. He is going to be the perfect governor. We look forward to that day. And as Christians, we should pray, right? Lord, come quickly. I think actually we're exhorted to do that. So have you guys ever read that in a book somewhere? We should be praying that. We should be praying. Um, so Paul here, you know, he doesn't give a type of government to submit to, okay? Believers are to submit to whatever government they reside under. So admittedly, guys, government doesn't always make sense, like this image, okay? Schools, like, we have the schools and the prisons they are both government institutions, right? The Bible is not allowed in our public schools, but in our prison system, hey, get these guys the word of God because this seems to be the only thing that helps and changes them, right? It's, yeah, crazy, irony, right? But the second point what Paul's making here, okay, to resist rulers is to resist the ordinance of God which brings judgments. You're actually resisting God. So I want us to note it wasn't Paul's purpose here to explain the other side. That's not what he was trying to do. In other words, what is the responsibility of the state? Or when is civil disobedience right? I've heard some really bad teaching on Romans 13 recently. Some pastors who have no business being in the pulpit, twisting the word of God. I don't know about you guys, but this is pretty straightforward and pretty clear. And they're preaching the opposite of it. Guys, I think of Peter and John. You guys recall in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Okay, they said, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And we would say, amen, right? (laughs) We're going to do what God tells us to do. We don't care what you're saying. But if God tells us, hey, you're to submit to the governing authority, oh, (laughs) Well, I guess that's obeying you according to your word. Am I going to disobey you or not? Because it really has nothing to do with the governing authorities. It has all to do with Jesus Christ. But when we get our eyes off of Jesus and on the circumstances, what's going on? The state, the authorities, oh, then I'm going to do what I think is right. My opinion is what matters. We need to be good citizens for God's sake, guys. So, Paul was not advertising believers, or sorry, advising the believers on how to deal with rebellious government here or the different governments, but rebellious believers. That's what he's speaking to here this morning. That is what he's saying to you and I this morning. So, government authority comes from God. So, we must respect the office, even if you don't respect the officer. Amen? Can I say that again? We respect the office because that's ordained by God, not necessarily the officer. Okay? So, let me tell you what we're all fallen, we're all human beings, everybody's messed up. I'm being very careful not to speak my mind this morning because I personally have a lot of thoughts, but we as Christians want to be biblical. Okay, we want the word of God to sanctify our thinking, what is right. Which moves us now to verse 3. Okay, To be good citizens for our own sake. Paul goes on to say, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to do you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So check this out, guys. Oh, thanks, bro. He was feeling it, too. Um In verse 3, guys, God's established human government because people are sinners and must be controlled. Okay, We have a sinful nature. So, governments is God's way of maintaining public good and directing the affairs of the state. Rulers maintain order in society by rewarding good conduct and punishing wrongdoing. And then according to verse 4 here, we see God's minister or servant, civil servants, um, they're to you okay so it does not bear you know when it talks here about the sword it does not bear a sword in vain okay this is talking about a form of execution at the time roman officers you guys know that they carried sabers with them everywhere they went right well that was a sign to the people okay a constant reminder that hey they the government holds the power of life in death so maybe today he does not throw the switch in vain or does not lethally inject in vain, or does not use lethal gas in vain. So God has given the authority of capital punishment to civil government. You guys remember back in Genesis, we have Noah and his sons, chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Well, why? You guys know that we've been made in the image of God. We have worth there. Murder is a serious thing. It is sin. It is wrong, and people need to be held accountable for that. So capital punishment is the ultimate manifestation of a state's authority to enforce order. So good Christians that obey the law, refrain from evil, we got nothing to worry about, okay? Don't kill people. So, the fear of punishment, guys, is not the highest motivation for obedience, but it is better than having chaos and anarchy, right? Um, let's go on to verse five. Good citizens, for our conscience' sake, therefore you must be subject, not only because of the wrath, but for conscience' sake. For because of this, you may also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to the very thing. Remember, therefore, to all their due. Taxes, to whom taxes are due. Customs, to whom customs. Fear, to whom fear. And honor, to whom honor. So when it talks in verse 5 here about the wrath, this is a motivation for obedience. But even a better conscience. That's the point Paul's taken us to here. A godly conscience. A God-directed conscience. Conscience. Not a Fox News directed, not a CNN directed, not a Newsmax directed, not all the fun TV commercials that we see during, you know, campaign election time, not even your pastor's opinion directed, guys. It needs to be a God directed conscience. That's what we need to press into, that's what we need to take seriously. As we study God's word. It's what we need to be praying into. So, Christians, okay? I wish we would vote our conscience. (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool? A lot of people are tripping in our country. You know, look at all this evil. This is wrong and that is bad. How can this be happening? This is as good as we've gotten it in the history of mankind. Guys, we live in the freest country upon the planet, okay? We are living in the most prosperous times in human history. And here we are complaining, wanting to resist and rebel and go against what God has said. We're a sinful people, guys. So, I think when it comes to us, the privilege that we have here to live in America, we really need to vote our conscience I think we need to know what candidates are standing for, what they believe, look at their voting record, weigh the candidates, their values against life principles that the word of God has laid out. I think to choose the candidates that most closely match up with our views, our values as believers. So educate yourself on the different issues, okay? the propositions that are at hand i'm going to read to you billy graham was asked um you know the bible doesn't say uh you have to vote does it i'm going to share his answer in a second his answer said no (laughs) the bible doesn't directly command us to vote because people who lived in bible times they couldn't vote But the Bible does command us to be good citizens. And one of the ways we do this today is by voting. In fact, if we don't vote, we are failing to fulfill the God-given responsibilities to be good citizens. The Bible says that Mordecai, Esther's uncle, was honored because he worked for the good of his people. That's in Esther 10, verse 3. Shouldn't we also work for the good of our nation Don't look on voting only as a responsibility, however. Look on it also as an opportunity. An opportunity hundreds of millions of people in our world wish they had. I think Billy hit it out of the park with that. I think being a good citizen, we submit to the authority. One of the few things the government asks us to do is what? Vote. We vote. So the issue... What party, then, should I vote for? Republican? Democrat? Green? Independent? Tea Party? Maybe a new Christian party that's starting up? The Holy Water Party? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the, the issue really, guys, is between natural law and positive law. I want you guys to follow with me and catch this. Okay, The Bible teaches there's a law above the law, right? Positive law, the municipal law, it's a system of rules that are established by, you know, the governing power or the state. Okay, natural law refers to a standard of conduct that really transcends human authority. Okay, it's a law above a law. Christians should have no problem with this according to our text this morning. This should not be a struggle, this is very clear. I love what President Lincoln said. He said, We've been given certain rights by who? Our Creator, okay? Higher governing law. So if you wanna take one nation under God out, okay? (laughs) Well, who on this earth are we gonna be under then? Okay? Who's gonna have that authority over you and I? One nation under the state, under the federal government, okay? there better be a power higher than ourselves. It is needed. But if that power is of ourselves, you know, the people who gave that power are the same ones that can take that away. And then there's a huge mess. So the question between these two views is do human governments create moral law or discover it? I love the founders of the United States. They put it in the declaration, all men are created what? equal hmm that's a God authority thing right we've all been made in the image of God we all have worth so they understood that our nation's freedom and existence were based upon God as creator so we hold these truths to be self-evident and all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights non-transferable can't surrender these rights guys right I love it. And then Paul goes on to talk about paying taxes. Some of you are like, ah, Pastor, you've had me till now. Hate paying those taxes, right? Uh, Pay taxes in the Greek. I found it very cool studying this out. It literally means pay taxes. So, Christians, guys, we are obligated to pay taxes to support these governing authorities. Okay, there is a management fee there in order for the order and the protection that we have. Okay, um, so what this just, you know, was this just Paul's command? Was this kind of his thing? No, again, all scripture is given by God. Okay, this is his word. And nope. what did Jesus actually say concerning taxes? pay your taxes, right? Okay? Um, he, He says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and unto God what is God's, Mark 12, 7. So the Jewish priesthood in our Lord's time, you guys know they were very messed up, very corrupt, okay? But Jesus, you guys remember that he approved of the might that the widow was paying for the temple tax? He approved that. Luke 21, verses 2 and 3. But what about when my taxes are being used for things that I disagree with? Okay, even then? Well, some patriots don't believe that we should be spending money on foreign aid. Some pacifists feel that it's wrong if we support a military. Most of us believe that it's criminal that we would take federal funding to pay for abortions. But now, think of who penned these words. This is the Apostle Paul. You know, what were Paul and the Roman Christians, okay, taxes at this time going for? Think about it. They were told by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul, you pay taxes, okay? Like abortion. You guys know that was actually going on during their day. There are historical writings. I was going to share some of them, but they're just long and lengthy, and the things that they shared medically speaking for women to abort their babies. They were instructed, and if this doesn't work, then try these practices. Really messed up, but abortions were going on during this time. It's a very ugly practice then, it's an ugly practice now, but it does not give us the right to take laws into our own hands. Rather, it should give us the drive to do everything we can to change the law through peaceful and legal measures, guys. The Roe v. Wade stuff, I don't know about you guys, but I've been praying more in the last few weeks than I ever have concerning it. There are things that are going to be going up to the high court, being heard, and this bad law that has always been bad might finally get turned over. That would be pretty rad. And I don't know if you guys have been watching, but there's been some great strides just in the last couple of years in many of the states here of the United States in regards to being pro-life, okay? Um, and again, voting makes a difference, guys, okay, who we vote for, so yes, we are even supposed to pay taxes, even if you disagree with where the money is being spent, I want to add a little side note to this, in Paul's day, Roman taxes actually went uh, to more than just the famous uh, roadways of Rome, okay, they also paid for a lot of the temples, that were devoted to the worship of who? Of the Roman Emperor, of Caesar. Okay? That is false worship. That is idolatry. But that's where the Christians' taxes were going. Hardly part of anything I think Paul would ever uh, promote or endorse. So we are also supposed to respect and honor them, we're told here. And when you can't, the officer, again, you can, the office. So biblical challenge for godly citizenship. I think praying is the biggest thing we can be doing, guys. Do you pray? I, have, I hear a lot of people complaining, you know, and these are brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope they're doing just as much praying or more, because I've noticed when I pray, the more I pray for my country and for leadership, the more my heart changes in a Christ-like manner towards those people. It's more like, wow, you really love our president. You desire him to know you. Your heart is to save him. I may at one time wanted to pray, Lord, just kill the man, take him out, get him out of here. But when I really pray, my heart changes. So I think we need to be praying. Jeremiah 29.7, it says, seek the peace. Jot that down. This is a really cool verse. Jeremiah 29.7, seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Babylon he's talking about. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. Don't we want to have peace in our land? God says, pray. 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 My people would humble themselves and turn from their evil ways, seek my face, and pray. I'm gonna heal their land, right? Yeah. Whole lot of meetings and conferences, Christians getting together to politically take on all the pfft in our land. God says, hey, you want peace? Pray. Wouldn't it be cool if we were getting together for prayer gatherings? Let's have a prayer conference. Let us, as the body of Christ, get together and pray. Hey, let's listen to our latest podcast where we can actually pray together for our land, rather than nitpicking all our own agendas and thoughts and opinions. I think it would be good. Psalm thirty-three, twelve. You can jot down too. Blesses the nation whose God is the Lord. Okay. So historically, guys, this country's faith has really sustained us through. Wars, it's sustained us, you know, through some crazy crises that have come our way, okay? And a lot of it we pray. Some of us remember not that long ago, September 11th, what happened? <laughs> People all over our nation went to church and they were praying. I'm <laughs> like, how rad is that? You know, I look at a few of the things I've shook out in the last couple of years, i like, I wish the same thing would have happened, but... We need to keep praying. Also, second thing, jot down. We need to vote. Vote your your godly consciences. Be biblical, morally, ethically speaking. Um, And it's safe to say, guys, that less than half of professing Christians actually vote in general elections. Hmm. We want to see change. Half of us don't go to the polls. (laughs) Go to the polls. Things would swing quickly. Imagine the impact that that would happen or have upon our government and our leadership, okay, if we'd actually just register and go vote. It isn't my goal, nor my job, nor my education to stand up here and to tell you guys how to vote, okay? Um, Concerning the economy or politically, but when it comes to legislating moral issues, guys, morality, then I'm gonna speak out, And part of that is because we're a Bible-teaching church. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the book you hold in your hand right now, this is timeless. The Word of God is timeless, and it is always relevant. Here we're reading something about politics, authorities, government this morning that was written 2,000 years ago. And how right on, spot on, is God's Word for us this morning? This is exactly what we need to hear. That's what I love about the Word of God. And as we teach the word, it's going to speak to the issues that are going on in life. Because there's nothing new under the sun, guys. It's the same old stuff over and over. We are a wicked, depraved people. (laughs) And we need truth. We need God. We need a Savior. Okay? So there are times that we will speak out. And when it comes to being a voice for the voiceless, I'm going to honor Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9 all day long. Speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Okay? Killing our babies is wrong. Period. You know? And I hate that. I remember when Uriah was a little guy. Like, I still could hold him. He was a chunky baby. (laughs) He was still little enough that I could hold him. And I remember when he was a baby, we went in right over here at City Hall, you know, to vote. And really, you guys know you walk in, it's very, very quiet. When everybody's voting, very somber. This is a very serious thing. I'm holding your eye, I'm like, hey son, if we vote for this person, babies die. And if we vote for them, babies live. We want babies to live. I got some awesome looks. But anyways, it really that simple, guys. Again, I can't tell you how to vote. Okay? But there are things that are just black and white in scripture. Okay. Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. Okay. He is about freedom. For freedom's sake, he came. There are just things that we know are the heart of God and that are right in his eyes. Um, something else we can do is support. You guys know there are a lot, a lot of ministries out there that are fighting for our, our religious freedoms, you know, for faith. Um, those are good things. That's one thing that makes America so blessed in the ways we are. Are the freedoms that we have okay and especially religious isn't it cool did any of you guys have a thought this morning like oh man are we gonna get busted if we go to church are they gonna show up and take us to jail today do you guys know that a lot of our brothers and sisters in the world today they don't understand what's going on this is so beyond them in their reality to be able to gather freely to worship jesus you know, I don't think any of us had a thought that we're gonna get in trouble today by coming and worship. I love that we get to do this. But let's not take those freedoms for granted. There's a lot of people today tripping, hey, our freedoms are being taken away. What I say to those brothers and sisters, what are you doing with those freedoms? You know, here we have so much. Do you guys know that? Oh man, we're post-Christian. We're not really a Christian nation anymore. You know? Man, people need to hear Jesus. We should go on the mission field. We should go over there. No, go across the street. Good chance your neighbor doesn't know the gospel. Really good chance they don't have a clue who Jesus is. That's our nation, guys. And we actually have the freedom to go share. We're not going to be beheaded for speaking the name of Jesus. So use your freedom. Share the gospel. And support different ministry. Advocates faith and freedom. There's a bunch of different religious liberties uh, ministries out there and the fourth thing hold tenaciously to the word of God okay Um, for it is our homeland security you guys understand that you want security it's God's word period so instead of politicizing churches we should apply what C.S. Lewis I love his saying when he said aim at heaven and you're gonna get earth thrown in too. aim at earth you're gonna get neither We're called to be eternally minded. Our eyes need to be on the Lord. We need to be doing things his way. So how do we do that? We love our neighbor. Pretty simple, right? Well, who's our neighbor? Let's take a look here. It says, oh, no one in verse eight, anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not harm or does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So this section here of scripture is not dealing with finances. A lot of people read this and want to take it as that some interpret this verse that Christians should never borrow any money, we shouldn't have mortgages, car loans, nothing like that. But in Matthew 5:42, Jesus wasn't against borrowing. He said, "Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away." Okay? So, granted, we have a ramic, you know, credit abuse problem today in our society. Okay, I think the average credit card debt is almost 20 grand per person. Think about that. Um, Easy credit, constant advertising. I get mad. Sunny can testify. These people I take, hey, you got bad credit. We'll give you whatever you want. It's taking advantage of people. I hate that, okay? Um, Anyways, I'm not talking about what I think. (laughs) The point is we got a problem, okay? And a lot of people live with the assumption, hey, I'm gonna make more money in the future, Therefore, I'm going to get it now, okay? Um, Pay later, right? And you will pay later, let me tell you. Um, O is a verb that means don't continue owing. And I think the NIV, if you have that translation this morning, I think it nailed it because it said, let no debt remain outstanding. So it's not saying don't borrow, but never leave your debts unpaid. So obviously, guys, paying cash is optimal. It frees us from the warnings of debt that we read of in Proverbs. You guys know the wealthiest man who ever lived, King Solomon. He said this regarding finances in Proverbs 22.7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. Okay. So what is the single most guiding principle that should really control a Christian's life in our society? It's love, guys. It's gonna be love. Look at verse 8 with me here. The debt of love. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. I think we have all longed to pay off some debt. You know, maybe it's an automobile, maybe it's our mortgage, maybe it's those college bills that are still out there, some loan. But here Paul names the perpetual debt you'll never pay off this side of heaven, okay? And this is an obligation for us to love, which means that really, hey, there's no limits to this. This is something we keep paying, we keep doing until the day we die, you know, we can never pay it off. So when can we never say, hey, I've done all the loving I need to do? That That doesn't work for us as Christians, It is the Christian's way of life, okay? We're never done loving. So real love extends to Christians, non-Christians, to the rich, to the poor, to people of every color, nationality, age, and those of different sexual orientation, guys. That means everybody. No, not approve the sin, but still love the sinner. That's what we do as Christians. So, the command to love in verse 9 for the commandments you shall not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, not bear false witness, not covet. And if there is any other commandment, I love that he says all are summed up in this saying, namely, being that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple. Love for God and love for your neighbor really is the highest motive for our obedience. Also, it has been God's plan all the way from the beginning, right? Love does what is right and just, and it seeks what is better for others. That's simply what love is. So by nature, guys, we don't have that kind of love. Listen to Titus 3.3 with me. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's who you once were, guys. But you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You've been born again of the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit is love. I don't know why I love you. I didn't used to love you. Something's changed. God's made his home in you and God is love. You're my enemy and I love you. I don't like you and I want to see you saved so we can have eternity together. Where does that come from, guys? It's the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts. And if it truly has, how can we not then want to share that love, to be loving, to be as he is? Sorry, I'm sidetracked. Real love. (laughs) We can only know that in the face of Jesus Christ. So, how do we get it? The Lord gives it. It's God. And how do we get it? We got to humble ourselves. We got to receive it. Because so if we're not receiving it, you know some people have a hard time being loved. You know, Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Okay? You've come to faith in God, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're still trying to earn his love. You're his kid now, but you're still trying to do this and do that so he'll love you. You guys know that God just loves you, period. You're his kid. Nothing you can do to stop his love. Okay? And when we grasp that truth and we receive that truth, guess what? We in turn will start doing the same. We're just gonna love people. So, when we truly love others, guys, we place their needs before our desires. James calls this, and you can jot down James 2.8 because it talks about the royal law. And he said this, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Pretty simple. So the release of love, look at verse 10. Love does not harm or does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So love isn't the end of the law, but catch it, it is the fulfillment of the law. So because love and law, they need each other, okay? Love needs law for direction, while law needs love for inspiration. Do you guys see how they go together? So what are the three love principles to live by? I'm so glad you guys asked understand your outstanding debt to love others. Grasp that. It is a debt that we are to pay. What is the greatest commandment? Hey, (laughs) love God with all of your being, all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You love him and you love others. Pretty simple. So that's our debt. That's what we've been created to do. So only one command fulfills the law, and that's the command to love all people. So can we only show real love, you know, with God's help? Yeah. (laughs) You're not going to be able to muster it up on your own. Okay? You need his help. So a few questions. I know we've had a lot this morning, but again, the word of God, we can hear it, but are we going to do it? We need to ask these questions. How do I apply what God has said? How do I live this out? So, a couple questions to bring this home. What does your personal love debt look like? Personally, don't look at your husband or your wife or what others are doing. What are you doing? Where's your love debt? What does it look like personally? Have you been keeping up on your payments? Have you been making love deposits in the emotional bank account of those that you hold dear? How are you doing in the area of loving your spouse, your kids, grandparents? How about mom and dad? How about siblings, relatives, friends? How about those strangers and those unbelievers? Do you feel a sense of accomplishment or are you a little convicted? That's between you and the Holy Spirit this morning. So how can you do better job of filling up others' emotional love tank this week? You guys know goals are good, right? Because if there's not a goal, there's nothing to work towards. There's nothing to attain. Pray. Really ask God, who do you want me to pour into this week? Who do you want me to love? Might be somebody that's not even on the radar right now. God knows. Go love your neighbor. I don't even know them. That's a bad excuse. Love your neighbor. And then I love how he wraps this up. Let's take a look at verse 11. Knowing the time, right? And do this. We're told to do this, guys. Knowing the time that now is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts so what time is it guys do you guys know biblically that there are only two categories of time okay this present age and the age to come that's what the bible speaks to so we are obsessed with time aren't we it's the very first you know cognitive thing we do in the morning I have this lovely dog that woke me up before my alarm this morning. And what's the first thought that goes through my head? What time did my lovely dog wake me up? You know, it's the first day. What time is it? So, ever count how many clocks that you guys have in your house? I did. 28 of them. We got 28 things, you know. It might be a coffee maker, it might be the microwave, the stove, cell phones. Old cell phones will even tell us time if they turn on. My laptop, you know, there's even decorative clocks. We have all these other ones, you know, why do I need one on the wall? Um, We got one up here. Pastor doesn't even use it. We're past time already. (laughs) It's one of those things, we got clocks everywhere. But we're fixated on time, okay, by measuring time correctly. So we seem to be the most concerned, you know, when it comes to time with the now, right? What's going on right now? And God seems to be more concerned about the time that's drawing near. Okay? I don't know about you guys, but I want to be concerned about the things my dad's concerned about. Okay? What does he see? How does he care concerning time? And Jesus tells us in John 9 4 I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming. When no one can work, and now we have it here in verse eleven, guys. Okay, know the time. Oh, <laughs> McJager, nineteen sixty-four. Time, it's on my side. Yes, it is now. I hope the Rolling Stones still don't sing that song when they're on tour. Cause I don't know, <laughs> they're pretty old. Like I'm watching Mick. You did, they had a show in September. I was watching it online this week, and I'm like, dude, you're old. You're so old. like, don't slip. He still struts around. I'm like, don't slip and break your hip or something. Like it's one of those things. These are but, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> but what is God's perspective? You know, I think Jesus is more saying, hey, time is ticking away, tick, tick, ticking away, <laughs> right? Slice slice but a vapor, guys. He's coming soon, we're told. We focus on minor measurements of minutes. God focuses really on, you know, epochs and eras, okay? Man has at least one eye on the future, but it's a negative one. We're very negative, okay? It's called the doomsday clock. How many of you guys have heard of this before? Okay, since its inception back in 1947, the symbolic doomsday clock has signified a level of threat posed by nuclear weapons and some other changing factors for international security. As the state of international security has changed, the doomsday clock, has changed, and it's changed 24 times since then. The doomsday clock last changed January 27th of 2021, so not that long ago, and it currently stands no longer minutes away. It says, this is your COVID wake-up call. It's 100 seconds to midnight. What? And that's from the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. But Paul says, hey, keep your eyes wide open wake up to what time it really is and then he explains that there's a way to live in light of the dawning eternal day and i love that the scriptures speak to this how ought we to live should we be tripping because we see bible prophecy being fulfilled that we're getting really close how ought we to walk how ought we to live what should we be doing right So if every one of our clocks would scream, hey, God sense of time, okay, I think we'd be living a little differently. But just like talking to, you know, say a youth, hey, you know, you're gonna die one day, and they're headed, what? That is so far away, you know? And then get a little older, you know, not that I'm that old, but guys, I'm halfway. And I'm pretty stoked because the first half went pretty quick. I'm gonna see Jesus really soon. Life goes quick, doesn't it, guys? So, with us, Christ's return, okay? He is coming back. Do you guys know that? Okay? I was told when I was a kid that he was supposed to come back, and he didn't. Kind of a bummer, you know? And I'm hearing all the time. I've been listening to prophecy updates, these discernment ministries that are out there. Hey, Jesus is coming back. This is shaking out, and this is Bible prophecy being fulfilled. <laughs> they were actually wrong. What well, we do know clearly, Christ is returning okay? You're not going to know the time. You're not going to know the day, but we will know the times and the seasons, and it's pretty exciting because there are Bible prophecies being fulfilled as a whole that we can say, yeah, this is absolutely a fulfillment. We are absolutely living in the last days, but hey, I was told 30-some years ago that Jesus was going to come back. I can't say with certainty we don't have another 30 years. That means my kids might be grown, they might be ministering the gospel. Their kids might be ministering the gospel. I don't want to give up and put my hand in the head in the sand because we don't know when he's coming because he is long-suffering. And that person you've been praying for to get saved, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come back today? I mean, I want him to come back more than anything. But hey, here's another day that they might bow the knee and come into eternal life. That's the heart of God. We don't know. He is long-suffering. That's what we do know. Desiring none to perish, that's what we do know. So he's going to absolutely wait as long as possible. But we don't know how long that's going to be. So what do we need to do, guys? Since the end is near, since we're seeing prophecies being fulfilled, okay? we're in that season, we need to wake up. We need to get up. We need to get cleaned up. We need to get dressed up according to what Paul says. Look at verse 11, okay? It says, and do this, knowing the time that now is high time to awake from your sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So what's the first thing that we do when the alarm goes off in the morning? We hit the snooze button, (laughs) right? We shouldn't be doing that as Christians, guys, okay? To some, their salvation is nearer. To others, for others, guys, their damnation is nearer. That's reality right now. Salvation is nearer means every passing moment brings us closer to the end or that hour closer to our, as believers, glorification. We look forward to that. So this unveiling of true time, God here, through Paul, gives this sense of urgency, something that we all should have. Do we have that urgency? I hope so. It is good for us to have as believers. It's biblical. And our response, guys, should not um, be like the extremists or the alarmists with that doomsday mentality, but instead understanding we only have a limited amount of time to spread the gospel, to share the good news, to make God known to this world. That's what we should be worried about. And so many Christians are trepping on the temporal when there's a war going on over the souls of men. That is the battle. Great. We get everything fixed and right in the way we want it so we can enjoy our comforts here on this temporal earth and people lose their souls. We need to wake up. We also need to get up according to verse 5. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So once we know what time it is, we need to wake up and we need to get out of bed. So Paul is equating sleep with spiritual uh, lethargy here. Um, I love this phrase here, cast off the works of darkness. I want to read to you out of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. This is a New Living Translation. It puts it this way. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for light makes everything visible. And this is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So just as you guys get up in the morning and you cast off your night clothes and then you put on appropriate attire for the day for those things that await you, so we're to do spiritually, guys. We're to do it spiritually. Our job as Christians is best accomplished when we're, you know, sporting this armor of light, okay? When we have this attire of Christ. Actually, our mission, guys, is impossible without productive gear. We need this. We need his cavalier vest of righteousness. We need his helmet of salvation and so on, guys. So important. So now before we can get or put on our armor, we first need to make sure that we're not wearing something else. And he says it's the deeds of darkness. What do we need to repent of? What's going on in secret in the dark? We need to get rid of that. So if we want to wear Christ, we can't be snuggled in with a velvet-lined straight jacket of our sinful lusts. Christ's armor, guys, it's tailor-fit for us and can only be worn by believers who've shrugged off their sin. Okay, We're called to repent, aren't we? We turn to Jesus. We turn from the sin. Here I am, Lord. <laughs> Clothe me. <laughs> I need all you got. <laughs> And then we need to clean up. Look at verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, Okay, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. So the first four sins, guys, deal with the area of immorality here. And did you guys see the last two? They're speaking uh, to relational sins. So that can be just as destructive, guys. Reverly, okay, it's used nocturnal, uh, righteous, you know, possession of a half-drunken fellows of, uh, who've paraded through the streets with torches, music and honor, you know, um, the, the, the Romans, uh, Dionysus, okay, Greek, the god of the harvest of wine, of getting drunk, okay, they get drunk to these different deities, um, don't mess around with alcohol. There's a reason why God tells us not to get drunk. Okay, you can go around, we got a lot of bars right here in Kakana. Some of them are serving spirits. Okay, there is a spiritual aspect to all this stuff. But they were indulging up late, indulging in these things, and it should not be so. And then he talks about lust here. That's actually talking about a base like animal lust. Uh, Sheer self-indulgence, you know, such a slave to, you know, its call to pleasure, you know, uh, all lost, you know, in shame. uh, One that really acknowledges no restraints. So it's one of those things. These are strong words that Paul uses here. Wake up. Okay. We are to be set apart. We should have nothing to do with this. And then we dress up verse 14. Look at put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So put on Jesus, his armor of light, the armor of God. Make no provision for the flesh, guys. None. So what used to cause you to blush, you know, what used to be considered a shameful behavior really has become entertainment for a lot of people. So we find ourselves like in Jeremiah's day where they were ashamed that they had committed an abomination. No, they weren't, okay? Who cares, right? They were not at all ashamed, nor did they blush. You guys can check out Jeremiah 6, specifically verse 15. But what's our answer? And I'm hoping that's the same answer that God gave to the Israelites there in Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways you see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Okay? There is a way that is right, and that is God's way. And some of us need to repent and return. All right, God, you're right. I thought that this is what had to be done. But you're saying I need to be over here. I need to walk the straight and the narrow. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. So what's the good way, guys? It's really to distance ourselves from the deeds of darkness, clothe ourselves with Christ. That is the key. So Romans 14, next week. Read ahead. Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful that you are right and that your ways are way better than ours. God, we read these things and we are we're broken. We see our great need of you. We need your help. We need to be clothed completely with you, Jesus. God, and I know that only can happen when we forsake all others. When we turn from our sin, this darkness, and turn to you. We're so grateful for the working of your spirit. Thank you that that fruit of the spirit is love. So I would pray just a special grace upon each one of my brothers and sisters here. God, that they would know just how much they are truly loved by you. and it's because of your love (laughs) we're led to repentance we're led to love you back to love others so I pray God if there are things that are in the way of us experiencing that love of knowing it and the truth of what it is that you would remove those things that you'd help us where needed and we do pray and ask specifically that you would just Enlighten us, Lord. Just download into our hearts those that you've placed in our lives, those neighbors of ours that you would be calling us to specifically love on this week, Lord, and show us how we can creatively do that. We want to do this, Lord, for your glory, God, for our sake, for our conscience, Lord. Your ways are so good and so right. I pray in your name, amen. Amen. Cool, cool. Actually, I had more time. We're five minutes early. Praise the Lord.